I used to sit in the preschool in tears. All the man really has to do on the day of birth is find a good parking spot. <laughs> Dad, Dad, catch this. Boom, I've done a poo. Stop stabbing your sister. From the news desk to the nursery. Mum! This is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Yes, it's the time of the week where we pull out the things that we're talking about. It might be an issue that has touched us, something we've seen in the, in the news or on our social media feeds. Joining me to discuss all these topics is Kerry Sackville. She's writer and author. Her latest book is out there, A Survival Guide for Dating in Midlife. And Grant Linden from Busy Dads, where he offers workshops for dads, everything from antenatal classes to fitness and meditation. Kerry Grant, welcome back. Hello, hello. It's nice that you've recovered from your race up the stairs, guys. <laughs> and that is all we will say about that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> On air, anyway. On air, yeah, that's exactly. right. <laughs> Our topics today are when kids destroy really expensive stuff, who pays? Is it time dads started owning their own mental health? The most mundane or average skill you have that others think is a superpower. And finally, the naughtiest thing you have done as a parent with your kids. First up today, when your child destroys something very expensive. What did you do? Whoopsies. What have you done? No, God, please, no, no. A family in Kansas have been asked to pay damages for a piece of art that fell on their son. The five-year-old boy was basically hugging the sculpture in a community centre and then it fell on him and broke. The centre sent their claim to their insurance company who contacted the family. Uh, if you translate the American dollars to Australian, I think it was around $177,000. I know everyone's like, oh. <laughs> Carrie, do you think it's fair to charge the family for this no, damage? No, of course it's not fair. You can't have a piece of art in a community centre where kids come in and expect it's not going to get smashed on the floor. In fact, I think it was actually a sneaky tactic to get it smashed on the floor. I reckon the community <laughs> centre didn't like that particular artwork, didn't know how to get rid of it, and so placed it right in the middle, invited the kids in, and just waited to see which one of them would take it down, and they Very did. Nuts. What about you, Grant? Oh, you know, the altruistic side of me says, absolutely, for, for life lessons and values, the, the, the child should know that. But it is quite ludicrous to expect that, I think. You know, I think if it's, um, you know, if my kids have broken stuff in a shop, you know, I've made them go up and, you know, own it and, and offer to pay and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, especially in toy stores where stuff's stacked yeah. up and they pull the bottom one out. It's but like, they very rarely actually ask you to pay. I've offered to pay a couple of times when my kids have knocked something over and they always say, no, it's fine. Because they fine. want you to come back. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's what it is. I was curious to know because I'm struggling to think of any time that my kids have broken something. You're that's struggling to think of a in time a when, shop, oh, okay. In a shop. Mm. I'm not Go around a house. That's mm. completely different. Yeah. They've mm. knocked mm. heads off statues numerous times. <laughs> I've got these tiny little Buddhas and um, little figures like that, and I just have to keep super gluing their heads yeah. on poor things. But, you know, that's that, they were like, that's not worth much. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to know, have either of your, any of your mm. children amongst the broods that you both have together? No, we don't, don't have them together. Have <laughs> <laughs> that would be very confusing. Okay, so Grant has... Has four and you have three. Yeah, Gary, so. and they definitely have. Oh yeah, definitely. In toy stores, they've broken things, only little things, but mm. yeah, they pick things up and they fiddle with them, and then the arm falls off. And mm. I think mm. there was one time when my daughter in a jewellery store, which wasn't one of the 
yeah, top of the line jewelry stores. Yeah, it was it was more um, the kind of Louisa, I think, yes. than yes, than uh, Tiffany's. But she was playing with a necklace and it broke. And I always go up and say, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry," um, and offer to pay. Never have I been asked to pay, which is. But then you always buy something else just to so, so you don't feel so bad. I did it the other day. I did it not with something that was broken, but my son picked up something and expected to be able to have it without asking for it. <laughs> and he'd opened the packet, and I was like, "Well." I've got to buy that now. It was food know. then. Yeah, it was. Yes. Like, I think it was chewing gum or something. Anyway, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, but yeah, I, I think you've got to let them know that they can't just go and do that stuff. And I think you know the scale of it. You know, one hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars for a statue is pretty insane, right? So I know, and I, it made me think of. Um, I was listening to an audio audio book. We were talking about this before, Kerry. Um, it was with Brené Brown. Was talking about yeah. um, shame and vulnerability, but she was talking about our our res- immediate response to, I guess, accidents and her scenario was if you're drinking red wine in a party that has white carpet and you're the only one in the room and you spill the red wine on the carpet, do you own up to it? And same sort of scenario. Mm. If your child is in a shop and they break something yeah. and nobody sees, do you own up to it? Or is your first thought, who who puts white carpet down and then gives you red <laughs> yeah, wine? Yeah, or yeah, yeah, or yeah. who puts an expensive statue in a community centre and then, you know, expensive Who parks so close it? to me that I can't just bump into you and take off? I know, but it's degrees, right? Because I also agree that I don't think the family should pay for it. But, you know, you it's such an awkward feeling when you're in that position. And you're like, yeah. I think we should pay for it. But then... I, there's no way in hell I could. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's it's like the whole supermarket trick of having the chocolates and the lollies right at the counter uh, when you're going to pay. And any parent will know that you take your kids and you take them to the counter and they grab it off and they know that they're going to do that. And I think there may be an argument for saying, hey, if your child grabs something off the shelf at the counter and opens it and you don't want them to have it, maybe the supermarket shouldn't have put it there. And I know that's sort of what you're saying, but on a lesser scale than $177,000. That's why they call them impulse bars. Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> kids are all on impulse. But, so. but especially, it's, I think it's different if you're inviting people to a dinner party and adults are expected to be able to carry a glass of red wine. <laughs> I personally can't without spilling it, but most adults can. Yeah. But I think if you've got a place where children are, are invited, then it's your responsibility. It's like when you have a birthday party, you clear things out that, that are breakable. Totally. And similarly with the community centre, get rid of the $177,000 statue right. before the kids come to there play. There you go, Kansas. You've heard from the parents here in We've Australia. made our decision. We've exactly. made a decision. Leave the parents yeah. alone. <laughs> I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. This is the time of the week where we invite two parents into our studio, the wisest, smartest, most experienced parents we can find. Today I'm joined by writer and author Kerry Sackville and meditation and parenting coach Grant Linden from Busy Dads. In just a moment, we are going to get a little bit more serious. Is it time that dads did something about their mental health? Kindling Conversation What's really bothering you? I don't want to talk about it. I always want you to feel like you can be open with me. 
Monday this week was International Fathers Mental Health Day. And um, this day, like many, has come about to raise awareness about men. And um, we spoke on Monday, uh, on Tuesday, I should say, about perinatal depression and anxiety for new and expecting dads. Um, but of course, men's mental health isn't just an issue for the early days of parenting, though that is an important topic for us to talk about. What I'm really interested in is um, sort of more long-term mental health for dads, you know, including when children are small, heading to primary school, it's still an issue just as it is for mothers. But mothers, in my experience, are better at asking for help than mm. fathers. Um, women, though, wives of partners if you, or partners of um, men if you're in a hetero relationship, can also be the closest person to a man who's suffering and often are left with no idea how to help them because our ways of dealing with um, issues can be fundamentally different. Um, I have found that uh, many men I know are, aren't very self-reflective, can't see that the things that are making them unhappy, uncomfortable, that are making them suffer, mm. and by extension making those around them suffer, can't see that that is something they can work on. Mm. So my question is, I know it's a big problem. I know that we need to help men find help. But what is it that women can do if they're with someone who refuses to accept they have a problem? Um, so, Grant, I'm going to start with you on this mm. one. You are a man. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> You're a dad. It's a, it's a tough one, you know. Um, what can women do? I think that's all case by case with the relationship. You know, it's like what... what um, what permissions in that relationship exist for, you know, walking into the other person's very personal shadow space, you know, and how, um, how in touch with your, with your shadow is that person? How in touch with their shadow is that person, you know? Um, and I think in, in my last probably six years of my own little journey, I've been doing a lot of shadow work, you know, and it's like, it's just making friends with all the stuff about you that might not be the, the shiny, bits, you know, but they're very real parts. And, you know, watching my mother die two years ago, you know, watching someone completely at peace, like that she had made complete peace with everything in her life before she slipped away, right? That was a profound experience. And, and that even dialed it up for me thinking, right, you know, like if mental health or um, okayness or happiness or, or however you want to define it, um, is paramount, then what do I need to do in order to make that my everyday experience? And when it's not at the fore, how do I be okay with that too? You know, remembering that there is a part of me that is still okay while I'm still in the poo, you know. But can I just say, you strike me as someone who's rather self-evolved for... I was um, just... You are not the average man. No, no, no. But the, look, the thing with, with fellas is this, right, is that... Uh, you, you're completely right in that we're the last person to put our hand up and ask for help. Um, and it's often, you know, at the pub or in the surf or at the football or something like that. And, and it's, it's, it's often in an environment where they feel safe to kind of open up and release a little bit of personal information that they feel that they won't be too judged by it. And if it doesn't land, then that's okay as opposed to organizing a bunch of blokes in a room to sit down and say, these are the issues, let's talk openly about it, and this is a safe space. You hardly, it's tough to get men into those environments. That's where good work can be done, 
but but it's so it's like it's like driving the old car you know like our first cars you know same thing that self maintenance thing you know sometimes you know you, you skip one service or you skip two services and then you got to hit the indicator harder or pump the clutch harder and I need we to service my car we <laughs> we normalize all the extra stuff we do to deal with levels of suffering and then we don't realize that we're suffering so much until it gets to a crisis point and often that crisis point is my relationships in in trouble or um you know suddenly i don't feel so great i'm having physical symptoms i'm having anxiety or uh, suddenly i find myself drinking too much booze or all of these other things to try and band-aid something that if detected when it was you know in its kind of infancy it wouldn't have exacerbated to such a mountain you know can i say what my i think is a my controversial frustration at this point in my life in my 40s and seeing relationships around me where I and this is anecdotal but where the women seem quite self-aware of what is happening in their relationships and they're working on it but the men mm. are just refusing to do the work they're refusing to go to counseling either mm. on their own or with their partner and then their relationships break up and they become the people on the midlife dating scene yeah and I'm going out with them. And it is so true. It's yeah. so true. And you find people in midlife, particularly, the women tend to have done a lot of work. And the men, there are exceptions. Of course, there are evolved men like you. But uh, so many of the men just leave their relationships, blame the problems on the relationship, or even acknowledge that they have problems themselves, but just do not do anything about it. And well, then they head to the next stage of their yeah. life, carrying all the baggage. Um, but m from my point of view, as... A female who's met so many men who have so many issues and obviously I've had issues myself but I've done so much work about it and I feel really strongly that it is not our job to save our partners and it is not our job to be a therapist for uh, the person we're either dating or living with or married to and I think that so many women put themselves second and prioritize their partner's mental health and it's to everybody's detriment because obviously the only person who can save you is yourself and you can love your partner and, and be there for them, but you can't save them. And if they're refusing to get help and they're refusing to work on their issues, I think it's like, you know, with, with the oxygen mask in plane, you need to save yourself before you save other people. And 100%. the thing about that is for me, I, I know someone exactly in this situation now, which is potentially why I brought it up, but I can see that she loves her partner so much and his unresolved issues are destroying her. Yeah. But she feels if she steps away, then he could go off the edge. Yep. And mm. then she's she feels it's not even that she she's very self-aware and she's very evolved in the way that she knows it's not her responsibility, mm. but she also knows she's probably got the most insight into his suffering <clears throat> and yet she can't help him. And that's where my frustration lies. That's where I think, hold on a minute, how many times do we tell mums you have to look after yourself. You have to self-care and all of that stuff. Although it's about, you know, having time for yourself, essentially it's, a, it's saying you need to be when, mentally well for your family. Yeah. So why aren't we saying that to men? Well, it, it, there's a funny thing that happens too, though. It's like, you know, we've seen this often and it's written about and it's in films and in books and everything is that when you're in a, a long-term relationship and, and you, you're pretty deeply connected, like are you married and you've got kids and all that kind of stuff, you know, is that you, you, we're always doing this, and if you can't see me in Radio Land, you know, we're moving ahead, you know, we'll out-evolve each other all the time, but we play catch-up, you know, and that happens, you know, at one stage, you know, you know, my wife is going to be completely, you know, streets ahead of me, and, and then we'll play catch-up, and then maybe myself a little further forward on the on the journey, but... 
the thing is, is that, you know, yes, you nailed it in that it's our responsibility, both of you are nailed it in it, to look after ourselves. But wherein lies the rub is that sometimes when people are really in in the hole, you know, it's really hard to even take that first step. You know, so yes, to repeatedly go in there and save somebody gets really boring really quickly and it's no good for everybody, you know, but sometimes, you know, you've got to just basically be the example, you know, and instead of maybe, you know, my parents were classic for that stuff, you know, um, just, just do your thing, you know, be the example of it and then watch that experience, you having that, that really kind of high grade experience of life, Right that becomes ultimately so attractive for the other partner. And if they can't handle the, the contrast, then they'll probably, you know, do something else or move somewhere else. Mm. You know? All right. Well, I'm, I'm determined now to move on to something a bit lighter, and that is about um, our parenting rules, when we've broken them mm-hmm. and when it's been really fun. Oh, well, rules are rules. <laughs> but rules are made to be broken. Okay, just don't tell your mother. And this fun meal has to be our little secret, okay? So last weekend, on Saturday night, uh, we hired Jumanji 2, rated PG, oh my lord, and Arlo and I, who's now four, sat up until nine o'clock watching it. My daughter went to sleep because there was a bit of romance in it and she's six and it, she cannot cope with romance. It's the worst thing ever. <laughs> um, but it was really fun. Like it was the two of us on the lounge. I never get time with him alone. Um, and we were laughing and talking. Did I like the line? Um, oh, look at my penis. That was a great line. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, yeah. he kept on talking about it afterwards. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and Jack Black <laughs> is a girl in Jack Black's body and discovers that she has a penis. It's awesome. It's very funny and um, it was totally breaking my most sacred rule, which is in bed by seven. I say sacred rule, but of course they're never in bed by seven. We try. Mm. That's our aim. Mm -hmm. Um, A colleague of ours, Pip, said um, when I asked people about their own experiences with this, she said, after a particularly feral birthday party, we put the four-year-old's birthday cake on the lawn and gave all the kids a spoon and turned our backs. It is now a favorite birthday memory and was much more fun than the usual (gasps) ceremony. It was about 15 years ago and their kids still you'll talk about it. That's brilliant. Isn't that great? That's brilliant. Um, And what what struck me about that is a lot of our rules, parenting rules are self-imposed. And when you break them, it forces you to enjoy parenting in a different way. It forces you to loosen up a bit. Um, Carrie, I have a feeling that you might have a few few stories. I've got so many. I mean, everything from that little things like just sitting and eating dinner in front of the TV because my rule is at the table, but sometimes we eat in front of the TV, to a couple of bath times where I just gave my kids when they were little permission just to splash all over the bathroom and just destroy the bathroom. (laughs) It was so much fun. But the highlight has to be I was with my three kids and we were near home, but we were out in the street and we saw an ice cream truck drive by. And I said, run. And we ran to my car and we chased the ice cream <laughs> truck through the streets, which is shocking because I was, I, think I went through a red light and I sped a little bit and, and we caught up to the ice cream truck and we stopped and we had ice creams. And can I, tell you, I don't so even good. like the ice creams from the ice cream truck, but it was such an amazing mm. experience. I had one as well. And we all remember, and the kids talked for years about the time we chased the ice cream truck. It was fabulous. That is brilliant. Yes. Sounds very Griswold. Yes, very Griswold. <laughs> 
Charles. <laughs> Clark. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Grant? Um, yeah, we're pretty hardcore on the bedtime rule and all that kind of stuff in our house too, and it's it's pretty malleable. But yeah, we have that that template, you know. Uh, one that comes to mind is you know we're um, Sydney FC club members, you know, and we um, during the season we go to all the home games, and we've got. I've got two other mates and they've got kids and all our kids have been playing football together since they were five years old. So it's a really cool little crew, you know. And it was the beginning of the season and it was really hot. And afterwards, it was like 10 o'clock, quarter past 10 at night. We drove down to the bogey hole at Bronte and just went for a swim in our undies and oh, stayed there till brilliant. like 11.30 at night. You know, I think we even stopped somewhere and got an icy pole or an ice cream <laughs> at the servo. And that was a great one. And last night... My two older boys, we stayed up and watched the World Cup, which started at 10. <laughs> yeah. And awesome. my nine-year-old was asleep in the first 17 yeah. minutes. It's like we have to remind ourselves, though, isn't it? Like, it's that's when you actually really enjoy parenting because totally. you're having yes. fun too. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And they're careful. They're, they're careful not to out. They know that it's a real privilege and a treat. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of are watching. They're, they're not pushing it too far. And I thought, oh my God, can we do that? We can do that? Even the other day, I had a, I'd bought some boxes of chocolates. My son had had a party and I bought some of the big boxes of favourites and they were for the party and then there was a box left over and it was in the cupboard and it was for an occasion. You know, you take it out on an occasion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we're all sitting around after dinner and we're just looking at it. And I was like, oh, let's do it. And I just took it out and we opened it. We were eating the chocolates. I was like, oh, I have a seat. And, it, and again, it's such a mundane thing, but it was so much fun. And you do feel that sort of surge of joy. And it's Friday, people. So start thinking about what rules you're going to break tonight. I am. <laughs> you're listening to the Parent Panel. We'll be back after this short break with a very important topic, the most average skill you possess that others applaud. I don't have much. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. So my particular set of skills are I can braid my hair, which never fails to impress people, and anyone else's hair for that matter. One night I braided my husband's hair and my daughter's hair <laughs> and my son's hair, and they all sat in line. They were beautiful, neat braids. Um, the other thing I can do is sit really comfortably in a yoga squat, and given all the crazy yoga positions there are, I am so disappointed that that is the one that I can do. Um, so I think, you know, they're average skills, but people do think it's pretty amazing. And I'm wondering um, what supernatural abilities you two have that you that are also quite average and mundane. Kerry? Uh, I can touch type, but really, really uh. fast. I learned to type when I was about 14 and I've been typing ever since. And because I'm a writer, I do a lot of typing and you know, all my kids use computers, but they, they don't touch type. They don't learn to touch type at school. So every time one of them wants something typed up quickly, they just dictate it to me and I type it up and they think I'm amazing. It's like <laughs> I'm a goddess. I am the keyboard goddess. I have oh. got massive envy. Oh, yes. Yeah. And like, you, my you my fingers fly over the keys. <laughs> and it's great. And I can also, you know, I can type obviously with my eyes closed and yes. you know, when you're talking away and when I'm talking I can multitask and so they think that's amazing. With your feet. Oh. With my feet, with yeah. my ears, with my yeah. nose. <laughs> uh, and I'm also an amazing reverse parker. I, but I'm really proud of that one. Oh I you think. should yeah. be. Because I can't I can't actually drive very well and I bump into things and my car's full of scratches but I can get into teeny tiny spots and my kids one of their best memories they still talk about it is when we went to a, a local fair 
um, that was happening in the streets, a couple of suburbs away. And we drove there and it was obviously there was no parking for, for streets. And I found like half a parking spot and somehow I managed to get my car in. And there was literally probably a millimeter on either <laughs> side. I still don't know how I did it. It was almost like I'd picked up the car and placed it in. And how did and, you get out again? Oh, I didn't. We just sat there for the next three days until <laughs> the other cars moved. But it was, it was, yeah, very proud moment. Cool. What about you, Grant? Do you have any average skills? Oh, it killed me thinking about this because there's some things I, I, I kind of normalize all the stuff and I'm sure there's things that I can do that other people find really tricky and technically difficult, you know. Um, I bet you can do a headstand. I can do handstands. Handstands. Yeah. I'm yeah. impressed with I that. I can do a handstand. And I bet his hair still looks amazing when he <laughs> down from the handstand. <laughs> I suppose handstands. There you go. But I, I worked really hard on getting handstands right. You know, mm. I worked... Um, with the Australian Shakespeare Company, and we were doing Wind in the Willows in the Botanic Gardens. And the guy who's the... Oh, pre- I thought you were joking. You actually did. Yeah. I, I played the rabbit for four <laughs> years. You handstands from the Australian Shakespeare Company, as you do. <laughs> I, I played the rabbit for four years, and I played the otter for one season. And um, But the guy who is the production manager of that production, he was in the Flying Fruit Fly Circus since he was a young guy, and he was the handstand master. And I would always pick little tips and tricks from him, you know, like, hey, what about that? What about that? And ultimately I got to the, and I, you know, doing lots of yoga and all that kind of stuff and always just falling over after seconds, you know. And one day I just got to this point where I just kind of get, I let go completely and I started hanging out and I can do like minutes now on my well, hands. Well, that is, I, I, I don't know if I'd classify that as an average skill. No, though, that's a once you're an skill. adult, handstands oh, no, are damn hard. Yeah. So, yeah, but I can make really good scrambled eggs. There you that's go. Good. Yeah. That's a good average. Yeah. Skill that I can't do poached eggs for the life of me. I've tried for twenty years. I have got the pan for you. No, nah. I've got the trick for you. Put them in the microwave. Oh. you put it. You put your egg in. You know, Elise is nodding her head. Kerry, yeah, Elise, put our the producer. Egg, put my the dad egg in does the microwave for about with my microwave about three and a half minutes, but with something over the top because in sometimes water. you leave it. No, so. just by itself. Oh really? Like put a, a paper towel over the top, at, but if you leave it a bit too long, it explodes. <laughs> Can I, oh, the parent panel giving you all the <laughs> skills. This is all you need to, to live, basically. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there because I, I actually do want to start thinking about what rules I'm going to break tonight. Oh, I thought you said you. I thought you were going to say. You want to think about poaching eggs? eggs. Yeah. Oh, I'm breaking too, so many rules eggs. tonight. My daughter turns four today. Oh, so happy birthday! I'm having dessert before dinner. <laughs> it's his birthday too, then. Exactly. Oh, excellent. No, I'm just no, saying. No, really. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's I'm, I'm make behaving it like it's right. my birthday too. He's going to party <laughs> like it's your birthday. Exactly. Yeah, thank you, 50 right. cent, exactly. Kerry Grant, thank you so much for coming. Such in. a pleasure. Thank you. That was Kerry Sackville, writer and author, and as I mentioned before, her latest book is called Out There: A Survival guide for dating in midlife and grant linden from busy dads it's a place where he offers workshops for dads everything from antenatal classes to fitness and meditation you've been listening to the parent panel a kindling kids radio podcast if you like what you heard don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends the parent panel new episodes every friday